This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. May is flying by and we all know what that means. It's almost time for Memorial Day to usher in the summer. And next week will mark show number 160. That's a lot of great information from a lot of wonderful, smart, experienced, generous doctors, researchers, and patients. Well, today we're going to hear from our very special guest with an update on her work. Dr. Wendy Ross was our guest in April of 2020 when she spoke about autism, people on the spectrum, and her dreams to help find support for them, not just in the home or at school, but throughout the entire community. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me again, Marianne. Of course. Now, for our listeners, Dr. Wendy Ross is a developmental and behavioral pediatrician. She's also a clinical associate professor of pediatrics at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College and the director of the Jefferson Center for Autism and Neurodiversity at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. And for our listeners, once again, I had coffee with Wendy last week. And let me tell you, when I grow up, I want to be just like Dr. Wendy Ross, because the two words that come to mind when I describe you, Wendy, are passionate and compassionate. And sometimes people have one or the other, but you are just a ball of fire. And I I truly believe that our friend here, Dr. Wendy Ross, spends every waking minute thinking of ways to bring people with autism and other neurodiverse conditions into the mainstream functioning world. And I'm convinced if anyone can succeed, it's you, Wendy. So again, thank you for joining us. Let's start by defining the terms because I think they've changed with time and uh, classification. Let's start with autism and neurodiversity, if we, if you would. Sure. When we talk about autism, we're talking about a condition that impacts three areas of life, social skills, behavior, and language, or more importantly, communication. So the way we talk about those under the autism umbrella, it could look many different ways, Marianne. So in terms of social skills, you might have somebody who doesn't make great eye contact or you might have someone who just doesn't understand social situations 
without instruction or who appears to be in their own world. In terms of behavior, sometimes people on the spectrum (coughs) will either crave certain sensory information to help them calm down or relax or soothe themselves, or they avoid certain sensory information because it can be so overwhelming. Or they might just have some repetitive behaviors or subjects that they're passionate about. In terms of language, you know, more often we say communication because when we communicate with each other, it's much more than speaking, right? We use gestures, we point, we use, you know, um, eyes in communication. So, but how it can look in an individual with autism is very different. And sometimes there are a lot of challenges, but sometimes autism can really also confer a lot of strengths or benefits, The one thing I want to say is that if you know one person with autism, they say you know one person. And one thing to also keep in mind is that sometimes people do prefer a person first language, like a person with autism. But actually, in this community, there are a lot of self-advocates that prefer identity first and will call themselves more of an autistic individual. So I will probably switch back and forth in that regard today. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think one of the examples in uh, that we're hearing today is people who experience homelessness. They don't want the adjective homeless to be put in front of them as a person so people don't look through them. But I see what you're saying. In this case, somebody might want to be identified as an autistic person. So I, that's, I've never heard that before. And I have to say that is the clearest explanation of autism that I have ever heard. And it really explains, as you say, the combinations are there are an infinite number of presentations for autism. So there is really no classic one. I guess people think of Rain Man or somebody who's a savant, but that's really pretty specific. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, some people have overall strengths and some people do have savant abilities. And often we see that in television representations like Rain Man or The Good Doctor, um, or there's this amazing lawyer show, I think Dr. Wu. Um, I mean, Wu. Uh, but I think that um, some people have that presentation and, and some people really don't. Right. And I think the other uh, clarification is the word neurodiversity. That's a bigger umbrella, yes? Yes. The, the word neurodiversity was coined by Judy Silver, who was an Australian sociologist. She also has autism around 20 years ago. And it's used to refer just sort of the way that all of our minds work differently. And it's been expanded to include those sort of on this umbrella of the spectrum, but it's also been extended to sort of refer to, you know, people who just experience or process information or their environments in unique ways. And a lot of people, including those on the spectrum, fit this neurodiverse profile. It could be somebody who's anxious. It could be somebody who's had a brain trauma. It could be somebody with ADHD um, or PTSD. And it could be anyone who's just had an amazing life and no stress, but has, you know, is aging and might have some cognitive differences. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for to remember uh, that people in all kinds of situations might need a little more time to process. So I'm going to combine the next two questions the main goal of your work and how does your work differ from other people's work? Because you have very interesting and specific differentiators. Let's go in that direction. Yeah. So one of the things I want to mention is that 
when we think about neurodiversity, it's actually a group that we might all fit in at some point, right? And the other thing, Good point. <laughs> the other thing is that when we make the world better for a neurodiverse population, we really make it better for, for everyone. And so we believe strongly at our center that everyone or individuals specifically that self-identify or have identified as having neurodiversity be involved in our project from the outset. We don't sort of develop something and then ask them what they think. We do do that, but we always try to have them involved from the very beginning. Um, and then because we're so lucky to be at Jefferson, where it's both this amazing healthcare center and a university, we have access to clinicians of all kinds, you know, doctors, nurses, physicians, assistants. We also have access to architects, designers, um, fashion designers. So we really try to incorporate all of the all of the people with all of their amazing fund of knowledge and perspectives in our projects. Mm -hmm. And I know that you also involve students because you want to train the leaders for tomorrow to keep yeah. thinking and working with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're really lucky in that regard also because we bring in students from the Kinney Center at St. Joe's. Um, early if they've majored or minored in autism so that we have medical students that are sensitive to the needs of this population. But we also strongly believe in interdisciplinary projects so that we all learn from each other. And I learn, I mean, I might be teaching some of these courses, but I find that I learn myself. And, sure. you know, the professionals of the future, it won't be enough to know about your own trade, you will know have to know how to problem solve with people from different backgrounds, whether it be, you know, a personal background or an identity or a professional one. Good point. And two things I want to mention. When you were on our show three years ago with Margaret Hondros, she and her husband founded the Kinney Center for Autism at St. Joe's. That's the reference there. And I have sent so many families there for uh, they have community outreach programs. And as you mentioned, college students are studying to um, work in the field of uh, neurodiversity in their future. So the other really great thing about your work is as you go, you measure outcomes that can then drive policy. And I'd love to spend the next few minutes talking about an example of how you change policy. This just bowled me over. I, I have been really excited about this, but I know we've all tried to block it out, but yeah. back a few years ago when, when COVID was literally killing hundreds of people a day and there was very little vaccine available, there was sort of a list of people who were eligible and not eligible for the vaccine. And these were considered high-risk people. And when we think of that list, we think of you know asthma, diabetes, people who are immunocompromised. Um, we think of older people. But what people did not consider were the population impacted by intellectual and developmental disorders. And we worked with a company named Visient to look at the data from over 64 million medical records across over 540 healthcare centers nationally. And we identified that having an intellectual and developmental disorder was actually the number one risk factor by far for getting COVID. And second, only to age from dying from COVID. And yet this group was nowhere to be seen on that vaccine list. Yeah. So it was extremely concerning. And the other thing that was really concerning was that if you were admitted to the hospital with an intellectual and developmental disorder and COVID during that period of time, 
you were 33% more likely to die, but less likely to be admitted to an intensive care unit. And for our listeners, Vizient is a healthcare consultant. So your data was from over 60 million people. So this wasn't just a little sample. This was a massive uh, collection of data. And I know that you worked very hard. And at Jefferson, you arranged for a a person who might be neurodiverse. If they're admitted to the hospital, you were to let a caregiver be with them, which would make a huge difference in their fear factor and an advocate being with them if they couldn't explain what they were feeling. And it led to civil rights hearings. And what was the final outcome? We have about a minute left. Yeah, so we were able to change policy across the country and the CDC changed their policy on prioritizing this population. And also around the world, people began to have access to the vaccine. It's incredible. This is what I'm trying to say, listeners. This is the this is the woman. <laughs> You're going to make it happen, Wendy. And I know that then you asked patients the top 10 reasons. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so we immediately held focus groups of individuals with neurodiversity, and we asked them what the top 10 things they wanted people to vaccinating them to know. Because just because something's available to you doesn't mean it's accessible to you. And we took those top 10 things and um, Special Olympics International produced a video of our our focus group members. And um, we were able to create a neurodiverse friendly vaccination program. And it really was a model that provided access to the vaccine to people. And I think what people need to hear is, as you said, uh, a medication or a treatment or a, a healthcare center might be available, but not always accessible. And that is your big drive to make it accessible to people who need a little more time to process or express themselves. And that in itself is incredible. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with Dr. Wendy Ross, director of the Jefferson Center for Autism and Neurodiversity. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash questions. 
Welcome back to your radio doctor with Dr. Wendy Ross. We're talking about autism and neurodiversity. Wendy, your work is so incredible. And you made a very good point that I want to emphasize. Why would um, your work in making the community more user-friendly for people who have had even PTSD or or recent trauma, like loss of a loved one. It also helps in general, our aging population. Because as you say, at some point in time, we're all neurodiverse for a short time or a lengthy time. And people don't think of the elderly so much as being neurodiverse, right? I mean, it just is um, a fact of life without having an actual label. So I, I think it's very important for people to hear that. So I know you've made great progress with some other specifics. Let's hear about the healthcare resume. Right. So we are working on the in- the entire healthcare journey at Jefferson. So we created this healthcare resume. And I want to emphasize that everything I do, I obviously don't do alone. And two of the key proponents of this project were Jean Tobias, who's our amazing nurse practitioner, and Dwight McBee, who's the chief experience officer at Jefferson, is our executive sponsor for this project. And what the health resume does is it pops up in um, my chart when your appointment is scheduled, and it asks you questions like, how do you best communicate? Do you need people to wait for a response? What kinds of things make you a little agitated or anxious? What are the things that calm you down? So essentially, what makes your visit possible, you know? And people can enter that information either on their own or with a caregiver. And then on the physician or clinician or nurse practitioner side, it will pop up in EPIC, the electronic medical record, um, before your visit. And hopefully that will help facilitate a more efficient, you know, um, you know, just possible really good healthcare because sort of all that information is front loaded. And the great thing about that is that in the world today, you know, doctors are required to ask so many things. It's not just about where do you hurt, but do you have enough food? Do you have a place to sleep? And all of those things are important, but there's so much cognitive load on clinicians today. But because this is patient and family driven, it provides the clinician with all that information without requiring them to remember to ask all those questions themselves. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. a win-win. And I'm really excited because we started to pilot this. We were piloting it in a few practices and then it sort of, other people got access to it. But what I will tell you is that in the first 10 days of the pilot, we had over 3000 people complete these healthcare resumes. And they did not all have an intellectual developmental um, specific situation. It just goes to show how much patients want to be known to their clinicians and how valuable they feel this form of communication is. And that's why uh, there's so many things, so many spinoffs here we could talk about. But as you say, even somebody who isn't atypical or doesn't have a a neurodiverse label, how many people can be described as having white coat syndrome. They get to the doctor and they get nervous and their blood pressure's a thousand over 500. And by the end of the visit, when the doctor says, hey, your labs look good, or I don't think this is this pain is cancer or whatever relief they get from that assessment, they take their pressure again and it's normal. And so if a person who needs a little extra time is in the comfort of their home, and they can open this up on my chart. At first, when you talked about it, I thought it was in Epic 
and they they um, answer the questions while sitting in the waiting room for the appointment. But it's even better if it's a day or two before, because I know myself as a patient, uh, obviously we're both providers and I'm used to, I think, knowing how to nuance people's direction and, and say, well, what about this or that? But um, I've gotten to a doctor visit and left thinking, oh, nuts, I forgot to say this or that. But anyway, uh, that's just a brilliant observation. And as you mentioned, initially it was for people with neurodiversity, but it went into the hands of other people and you see it's as uh, very effective for them as well. So tell us about healthcare courses. This is terrific. I mean, for for again, for listeners, Jefferson was originally a medical college and we had nursing school and uh, different health science schools, but it wasn't until 2014 or thereabouts that we merged with Philadelphia University and that is the former textile university. So we have, as you say, textile and um, architects and design. Tell us how you're working with that in your world. Yeah, we are so excited to now have five courses at our university. One is a little more, you know, might be more expected, and that's a humanities selective for medical students. Um, so that's really exciting. And we embed a lot of experiences in that course in the community. Um, and one of the experiences that I'll mention, because it'll come up later, I think, is we go to this amazing cafe in Narberth called Great Expectations Together or Get Cafe. That's one of our experiences in that course. Um, another course that we have is a neurodiversity and fashion course, because when we think about our built environment or the environment around us, it really starts with what we're wearing, you know? So we have a fashion course and then we have, um, two industrial design courses in one of those. I worked, um, with Robert Melville, who's an amazing, um, instructor at Jefferson and designer, and we created a neurodiverse friendly um, selection of seating options that is actually now being manufactured by Miller Knoll and will be featured in Jefferson's new um, specialty pavilion at 1101 Chestnut. So we're really excited about that. We have another course about immersive art and the impact of the health experience. Mm. And I had the pleasure of partnering with Lynn Godley, who's an amazing industrial light designer and Rachel Brandoff, who's an art therapist. And that course is kind of cool because it's not just ensemble taught, but the students are graduates, undergraduates, healthcare designers. Um, and then we also have an interior design architecture course with Lucia and Severino. And for that course, we have an international symposium where people from all over the world participate. And that's really about sort of the walls in, right? So not just art or seating, but the whole environment. So let's break that down because you have great examples of each. So fashion, uh, people would say, gee, how can you help people who are neurodiverse with fashion? And you showed me pictures with examples, say, uh, you know, when people use a waste pack to put their credit cards or their, their a few things for the day, say pencils or pens or something, that one of the samples you showed me was somebody created jeans with loops that they could hang the waist back on. Because as you said earlier, some neurodiverse people like to just soothe themselves by fidgeting. And there were loops on the... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the clothes had fidgets built into them. Some of them had the waist pack. Some of them had both. Um, they were all extremely soft. Um, 
it was really amazing to see not just how these students designed, but how they worked with our population directly mm-hmm. to understand from them what their needs were. Like the jeans that were for uh, maybe a younger boy uh, that would have yellow bands around the ankles to to like a fireman reflector bands and then soft, super soft inside and then fidgets. And then for the industrial design, the pictures you showed me of the furniture, and I put the picture in our newsletter. I'm going to put it on our website. It shows a woman sitting in a slightly wider chair. So that's friendly with an armrest that has fidgets and then a little panel. Can you give us a little more detail on the background? Yeah, well, you know, like I was saying earlier, when you have autism, a lot of times you can get overwhelmed by the sound or sights or lights around you. And you really need maybe a break or a protected environment to sort of, you know, collect yourself. And so what a lot of public places have done is created sort of this sensory room, which might have special seating, dark lighting, some fidgets, sometimes even therapy dogs. And it's a cool idea. There's nothing bad about the idea, except that it's become sort of the only idea. Um, And, you know, a lot of sports stadiums will have these and it's great. But what we're finding is that a lot of people then stay in this segregated room and they don't come Mm. back to the game. And our goal is to really keep people, you know, in the game, whether that be a sporting event or waiting for their doctor's visit or anything they need to do. So we Mm -hmm. started with waiting room seating and um, it has panels around it in different configurations to create smaller pods. So if you come with a caregiver, you can both be sort of in there. And then because sensory seeking is, is also really helpful, we have wider armrests with a sensory component. And we've been piloting iterations of this, including the textiles that the chair itself is made from with our population. And we were really lucky to have Robert Melville in our design school helping us. And Miller Knoll was very quick um, to be like, we wanna work with you and manufacture this. And so we have our first prototype. And we're super excited. We will be um, studying this prototype in comparison to um, a typical waiting room chair and looking at the uptake and use of this seating so that we, again, have outcome measures so that we're not just, um, you know, making up what's good or bad, or but that we can provide some evidence in support of products like this. Sure. And um, I was also fascinated when you talked about the symposium there were people from Egypt, Ireland, India, architects, clinicians, and some of the participants were neurodiverse. And and you've talked, we'll talk about it later, but um, sometimes you work with uh, doctors who have autism. Tell us about that symposium. Um, yeah. So the symposium, we've incorporated people who are both speaking and non-speaking as our speakers. I know that sounds a little funny, um, <laughs> but we also... Um, have we had amazing architects like Magda Mustafa from Egypt? Uh, we just had a whole um, bunch of individuals. But one of the things that we want to bring up is that sometimes autistic individuals are not just the patients; sometimes they're the doctors. And we've been really lucky to work with Mary Doherty, who's out of the UK, who's an autistic doctor, and started wow. Autistic Doctors International. And we've been working with them, especially my researcher, Alex Fossey, in looking at the experience of autistic doctors. Well, let's take a little break because I want you to stay with us during the break when you hear about this week's Your Real Champion. Through you, Wendy, I had the good fortune to meet Brooke Goodspeed. And 
another absolute crusader for those with neurodiversity. And I really believe that the two of you are building the foundation for a national program that will change the lives of thousands in our country and millions across the world. Stay with us and we'll return after the break. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Brooke Goodspeed and the Get Cafe. Nestled in the cozy town of Narberth is a very special coffee shop named the Get Cafe. Get stands for Great Expectations Together, and it offers a loving, inclusive environment for people of all abilities, especially those with disabilities. The story begins with Brooke and John Goodspeed, who are blessed with three children And in 2010, Oliver, their second child, was born with Down syndrome. By age three, he was diagnosed with autism. Brooke describes the personal growth and pure joy they feel as parents, but also knows firsthand the challenges of raising a neurodivergent child. Oliver is nonverbal and needs 24-hour supervision. At times, they didn't even feel accepted by some of the Down syndrome community. A few years later, the couple created Get Included a nonprofit with a mission to eliminate the stigma and discrimination that excludes individuals with disabilities from meaningful inclusion in the community. As a nurse practitioner who cared for cancer patients, Brooke was used to connecting patients with resources. Now she could use her experience to find support for her son and share her findings with other parents. Brooke said, I want to build something for my son, a place where we could all feel comfortable together. And I wanted to keep working. Services for the disabled often disappear after age 21. And what programs are available during the summer? Well, when they started in 2015, meetings were held in a small gathering room in Narberth. And by Valentine's Day in 2019, the Get Cafe became the place where people of all abilities were welcome and comfortable. The cafe employs people with disabilities, and the profits fund camps classes, and programs for people with special needs and their parents. There are currently 36 on the payroll, and only five do not have disabilities. There are also about 20 volunteers, often paired with a staff member, to help them take an order or count change. The space is large enough that groups can still host meetings during open hours. So the back half recreates what they already had, space for support groups, clinical work such as social skills with speech training, There are two couches, a fish tank, and a sensory room, a small area off the bigger community room. There are areas for cooking and prep, which is a transparent classroom for training. All operations, including the sensory room in the back, are visible. So they're all open to customers, and kids love to explore and appreciate the tactile board with fabrics, zippers, and texture balls. One of the social determinants of health is employment. An article in the Philadelphia Inquirer from 2019 quoted the 2018 annual report on people with disabilities in America. If employed, national and state laws allow employees with disabilities to be paid less than minimum wage, sometimes as little as a dollar an hour. To Brooke, a fair wage is as important as teaching life skills, and her employees are paid $10 an hour. Volunteers range from age 14 to 70. Her typical volunteer may be a retired teacher or therapist or a student in nursing school who learns skills that will help with difficult conversations in clinical practice, 
like talking people through stress. The disabled may need pre-employment training and learn behavior in the workplace, such as interacting with customers, learning how to ask for a vacation day, or calling out sick. The cafe often uses pictures for instructions for staff. A cappuccino or an avocado toast should look like this. They've also created a picture menu for visitors and a braille menu. In fact, one employee in his 60s is blind and autistic. Brooke moved from her position at Penn's Abramson Cancer Center and joined forces with Dr. Wendy Ross in the Jefferson Center for Autism and Neurodiversity. Brooke is also earning a PhD in nursing at Penn, and her thesis is called The Impact of Employment on the Physical Health and Emotional Well-Being Among Transition-Age Youth with Autism. She hopes to see the Get Cafe become a national template for other employees and shares this message. If I can show that I can run a shop and break even, proof of concept, you can hire one person if I can hire 36. Brooke is fueled by love and her desire to help the vulnerable. She says, you don't always need a fancy, expensive intervention. Just be kind and patient. Brooke is often moved by stories from her customers who come for coffee and witness the human struggle that is so visible. They can relate, and that is what inclusion is all about. The word Godspeed is defined as an expression of good wishes to a person starting on a journey. We send Brooke Goodspeed all good wishes and support as she continues on her incredible journey. We salute you, Brooke Goodspeed. You're a real champion. For information about the Get Cafe or to donate, visit their website, getincluded.org. That's getincluded.org. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, and your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Wendy Ross. Wendy, we've talked about so many um, areas of your work, and in general, we're making good progress, some progress uh, as a society, uh, and being more aware of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But it's important to remember that people with disabilities also face conscious and unconscious bias when they're seeking healthcare. And you made a very important distinction earlier as well. Availability is different than accessibility. How are you working to make 
accessibility to good health care better. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny, Marianne, because Judy Human, who helped uh, parent the Americans with Disability Act, might, once said, you know, people will ask now who's sitting at the table, but they never bother to ask if the table itself is accessible, you know. And there were some really powerful studies recently that showed that over 82% of doctors feel that people with disabilities have a very low quality of life, which is not an opinion that they share. Um, people with disabilities themselves think about their own lives, but that's just a huge number. You know how sometimes you're filling out a survey and you kind of know what you would do and you know what your better self would do and you might might split the difference, you know, but 83% means they thought that was like the socially desirable answer, you know? Wow. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was another recent study by the same amazing woman, Lisa Ayazoni, that showed that people that in healthcare don't want patients with disabilities, mainly because they're under-resourced. And I'm really proud to be at Jefferson because they're really investing in this. We have an amazing transitional care program run by Mary Stevens and Karen Roseman, which takes um, pediatric patients with um, intellectual and developmental disorders and disabilities and transi transitions them to adult health care. And Jefferson Center for Autism and Neurodiversity is working across specialties to help educate different specialties, prepare um, our patients with neurodiversity, and, you know, sort of provide a roadmap mm -hmm. um, to getting their health care needs met. And I want to inject there for a moment because we did have, do a whole show with uh, Dr. Mary Stevens and that transitional program, as you mentioned, when uh, a child gets to be 18 and then there are, I guess some pediatricians keep uh, teenagers a little bit longer. They get to be 18 or 21 and they go to adult care. If uh, Mary takes care of a lot of uh pediatric patients with down syndrome or now she's family medicine. Yes. And she takes care. Yes. She's a primary care to those who are young, but too old to see a pediatrician. And that is a fantastic program. She herself has a, a child with down syndrome. So uh, to have her to work with has to be a wonderful plus for both of you. Yeah. We're just really lucky to, um, that Jefferson has been so vested in some of our initiatives. Mm hmm and so tell us a little bit more then about um, that idea of making healthcare more accessible to somebody who's more diverse. Right. So in addition to our resume, we have visual stories. We're hoping with our new specialty care pavilion um, on Chestnut Street, our population has consulted not just on the seating, but on different aspects of that building, including there will be access to telemedicine in the exam rooms where if you come with a caregiver, but maybe not a family member, they can be accessed quickly. Uh, so there's a lot of things in that building, but we also create um, visual stories to prepare people for that new building. We're hoping to have videos and virtual reality um, if we can raise enough money. So um, for some of those preparatory things to help make healthcare more accessible. If people did want to donate to your work, Wendy, how would they do that? Uh, they can go online and I think under neurology, you'll see the Center for Autism and Neurodiversity, or you can reach out directly to Michelle Maslowski in the Office of Institutional Advancement. Um, she's our amazing fundraising support. So basically, jefferson.edu and look for the uh, Autism and Neurodiversity Center or Center 
for autism and neurodiversity or go to institutional advancement. Beautiful. Now, one of the other determinants of health and wellness is employment. And we just heard about your real champion. Let's talk about that area of your work. How is employment? uh, I mean, we know that it's vital for people's uh, sense of well-being and uh, and development. How are you working with uh, Brooke Goodspeed now that she's part of Jefferson with you? Yeah, Brooke Goodspeed started Get Cafe, and we're really lucky to have her. She's getting her PhD, and her PhD work is on the impact of employment on this population. And we're hoping to, um, you know, support more of those types of efforts. Get Cafe employs over ninety percent individuals with intellectual and developmental disorders and neurodiversity. And it also supports several students from Jefferson in their projects, their research projects. We also have an employment program with our cybersecurity department. And this was really um, the brainchild of Mark Odom, who came to me and said, you know, we cannot keep employees in our cybersecurity division. It's really important that we keep this division staffed. He said, I've read a lot about autistic individuals being drawn to this field. Could we find a way to improve the quality of life of these employees so that it would make them want to stay in our department at Jefferson? I mean, and Marianne, this was just amazing moment for me. It's like that old commercial. I'm probably dating myself where like the peanut butter runs into the chocolate and they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> peanut butter cups. But so the light went on. Yeah. yeah so. Again, um, we have a few interns that are starting this summer, and some, again, are from St. Joe's that uh, have self-identified, and we are um, creating sort of a long runway for them to be involved as students and as interns, and then hopefully they will become employees. And we're working on this in several domains. We're educating Mark's department. We're creating accommodations We're creating paths with human resources because sometimes our our participants are not maybe the best at an interview, right? Because that's social communication, yet they'd make the best employees. So we are um, creating pathways to just make their skill set shine and not have those types of barriers. And we're just really at the the beginning of this program. Our first interns are going to be starting um, in at the end of this month or in June. And we've already started to present sort of some of our progress and sort of the foundation for this program at national conferences. And, you know, it's not that we have all of the answers. It's just that at Jefferson, we're we're asking different questions and we're asking them with humility and with open ears and hearts. And we're trying our best and we're prepared to learn and to help craft a program that will be beneficial to everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the most important take-home messages is that you ask the neurodiverse people what they're thinking, what would make you comfortable. How do you approach an issue like talking to a doctor or focusing on your work? And I think that's the most important differentiator, don't you? I think that is a big differentiator, but we don't do that to the neglect of the other people in the community, right? Like we always want to provide no. yeah, education. It's really about building a bridge, right? It's just that a bridge doesn't start from one side. We make sure there's two sides to the bridge so that people can cross it and meet in the middle and get to the other mm-hmm. side successfully. 
tell us about your work with the American Association of Cancer Research. Yeah. So, uh, Marianne, as you know, my husband had cancer. I would consider any cancer patient to be neurodiverse for sure. Um, and so this is a program that's near and dear to my heart. And, you know, we are working across all specialties, but we've really one of the ones that we've been making a lot of recent progress is, is in cancer care. And the uh, Kimmel Cancer Center has really been supportive of this effort. And we did a survey that looked at the education and resources of oncologists for these types of patients with no neurodiversity. But like I said, it could apply to all cancer patients. And we presented that at the American Association for Cancer Research. And we got a lot of interest, which just, again, shows that um, this is more and more an area that's coming out of the, the, the shadows. I mean, when people think of the Americans with Disabilities Act, it, of course, applies to the population with more or less overt disabilities like neurodiversity, but there are literally no guidelines. Um, so, you know, ultimately, we would love, as you mentioned, to sort of pilot programs, get outcomes and really drive policy to create accessible healthcare with a standard that can be replicated and delivered with fidelity. And measured, as you say, your work, uh, you're going to great lengths to measure it, to have metrics so you can say, this uh, change in furniture worked, or this pop-up questionnaire uh, really helped people with all backgrounds. And I think that's important yeah. as well. Yeah, and another thing that has come up is that as people have found out about our center, they've called us from across the enterprise um, when they have patients that come in with neurodiversity, and if they're not sure what to do, we've been consulting. And so with the help of Angie Nicholas of Jefferson North, we're just at the very beginning, so it's not quite there yet, of building a more official consult service so that as patients come into the ER or admitted there be a pathway to call us and so that we can support this effort and make sure that their health care is safe and effective and um, efficient, you know. And I hope, Wendy, as people hear our discussion today, uh, people outside of Jefferson, that it will spread to other medical centers and, and other employment centers and, you know, other people that would call on you for a consultation for their patients or the, their people that they're interviewing to employ. And, and I love the title, sorry, but GET stands for Great Expectations Together. And that's what you're doing. You're just giving so many people on so many levels pure hope. Well, thank you. I mean, we, we really obviously love what we do and we are called upon. Like recently, Justice Doherty from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court invited us to start um, or to provide clinical support for an autism-friendly family court system. And so we're really wow. proud of consulting with them about the built environment and the processes used because unfortunately, a lot of kids with intellectual and developmental challenges or autism find themselves in family court for a myriad of reasons, you know? It, sure. If you had, um, what opportunities are there for you to present your work or your concepts or your success? Are there national meetings, I guess, like you say, neurology, it's a multidisciplinary uh, effect. We have about a minute and we'll keep talking in, the, in our last segment. Sure. Well, most recently, we um, Alex Fossey, who's on our team, presented at the International um, 
meeting for the International Society for Autism Research. But we're not, we don't just, um, we've presented at courts, like I said, we presented. That's to, what I mean. Yeah, 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 we present to really almost wherever we're asked. And it, and it really ranges, like there's a huge range and it's regional, national, and even international at times. Just fantastic. Let's take a little break and we'll re- return for our wrap up with Dr. Wendy Ross. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, my name is Bobby Bunyan, CEO of Recovery Centers of America at Bracebridge Hall, and today I'm your addiction expert from RCA. Today I'm going to talk about what enabling an addiction looks like. Enabling an addiction refers to behaviors or actions that unintentionally support or even perpetrate an individual substance abuse or addictive behavior. Enabling can take many forms, such as providing financial support, making excuses for the person's behavior, bailing them out of trouble, or minimizing the severity of their addiction. Enabling behaviors are often well-intentioned and come from a place of love or concern for the individual struggling with addiction. However, enabling can ultimately do more harm than good, as it allows the person to continue their addictive behavior without facing the full consequences of their actions. If you suspect that you may be enabling someone's addiction, it's important to seek help and support for both yourself and the person struggling with addiction. If you or a loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by our friends at Genentech. Dr. Wendy Ross, you have uh, climbed several mountains already, and your work continues in helping those with autism and neurodiversity. Uh, We've talked about architecture and clothing and unbelievable uh, in terms of imagination. And I love it when you say that people with neurodiversity need a ramp. When a person's using crutches or a walker or even a wheelchair, there's a ramp. We consider those with disabilities that what is the ramp for that, with, that you can provide for those who have neurodiversity? And I'd love to hear about the other community programs, the flower show, sporting events. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marianne, we talk about it a lot as like the care that some people have to have, but that we all essentially deserve, right? And we've been really lucky. Subaru has sponsored a program with the Philadelphia Flower Show, where we've um, given out some information about neurodiversity and then They've sponsored a video where we prepare people to go to the flower show. Um, and then they've given us, usually we get around 50 tickets a year um, to bring people to the flower show, either with some of our support with medical students or um, on their own. 
And so we're really excited about that. You know, prior to coming to Jefferson, I started the accessibility programs for autism with first the Phillies and the Sixers and the Flyers and then the Eagles. And so as we get tickets, we we will still do that. It's, you know, this is the downside of having teams that are super successful is that we get fewer tickets. But this year we will still be bringing about 100 people to the Philly scheme and we're bringing about 20 people to the Philadelphia Union this season. So we're nice. really excited about that. So if you bring people, what does that include? A special seating or t- uh, showing them a sensory room? or? So usually that involves preparing them with special strategies and sensory bags. It includes visual stories um, to uh, prepare them for the experience. In some cases, we provide clinical support. Um, in form of one of our occupational therapists, therapy students or medical students. Um, and, and then, you know, the tickets are supplied, you know. Well, I think that people need to hear as well. I remember I was talking to Brooke the other day with the Get Cafe. They use pictures a lot. Here's what a, um, a cappuccino should look like. Here's what, and that visual is very helpful in, in terms of perception. Um, Wendy, if somebody wanted to see you as a patient, can you provide an office number for us? Sure. So we have the program, of course. The program is through the lifespan, but the practice is only for for pediatrics, for kids, just Mm -hmm. to be clear, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a pediatrician. But the phone number for the office is 484-380-2167. And I have an amazing psychologist that works with me, Dr. Angela Jones. Okay. And I'm going to repeat that number, 484-380-2167. Two one six seven. We'll put that on yourradiodoctor.net, our website, 484-380-2167. Is there a website that people could read more or foundation? It's on the Jefferson website is our practice. And, you know, we don't just treat autism in the practice. We do learning disabilities, ADHD. We integrate medical, educational, and therapeutic plans. But um, if you wanted to make a donation, you could go on the Jefferson website again, but especially our contact is Michelle Maslowski in the Office of Institutional Advancement. And really every dollar goes to our programming. Um, and, and it really does make a huge impact. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for introducing me to Brooke Goodspeed as well, because uh, you really lift people's hearts and bring hope to not only the the people with disabilities, but their families. And and you're really opening the eyes of other people in the community, which is fantastic work. Thank you. Well, thank you, Marianne. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Thank you to our sponsors, Independence Blue Cross, Recovery Centers of America, and Genentech. Write to us. Send us the story of a real champion or maybe there's a topic you'd like us to cover, send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. That's info at yourradiodoctor.net. And if you're looking for a great cup of coffee, visit the Get Cafe in Narberth. Last week, I met with our guest, Dr. Wendy Ross, to hear about her work. Along the way, I ran into a few roadblocks with construction. And while feeling the nagging urge to arrive on time, when I finally stood and ordered my coffee, I had to wait a little longer, but it gave me the chance to catch my breath and enjoy the chill of delay. Stop in for coffee or a great meal at the Get Cafe in Narberth and be reminded of the value of living in the moment. 
This is your radio doctor, Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 